everyone, welcome to At This Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Lynn. Join me for conversations with people in the theater world. You never know who's going to show up or what we'll talk about. So silence your cell phones. The show is about to begin. So I met today's guest while she was in my favorite show, Bonnie and Clyde, and I always call her my favorite wonder study. So please welcome Cassie Okenka. Good morning or afternoon. Hi, Jen. Whatever time of the day it is. Exactly. Wherever you are in the world. (laughs) Exactly. So I miss you so much. I know. It's so nice to see you. It's good to see your familiar face and like uh, camaraderie. Well, when I started this, I was going through people that I wanted to just talk to. And I was like, it's got to be Cassie. Cassie has got to be one of the people on this. Oh, I'm so honored. Truly. I did mention Bonnie and Clyde. I mean, well, I think most of my conversations start off with Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> but So let's start with that. You got to go on as Bonnie once in the very short run, which should have been longer, of the show. I agree. And um, that was also a special performance for you, too, right? Oh, my gosh. You have, like, if I could rewrite my history, I would not change a thing. I was so lucky to be um, in a swing in the show. So I understudied the three ensemble girls and Bonnie. And it just happened to the stars, unfortunately, aligned with an illness, which is never how you want things to happen. But I'm so glad everybody was taking care of themselves. And uh, I believe it was second week of previews, uh, Laura Asnes, who was playing Bonnie at the time, she uh, wanted to take a show off just to make sure she was like ready to go and ready to do the work for the week ahead. And so she called out and I was the call that I was going on and I got to make my Broadway debut as Bonnie and Bonnie and Clyde. Like, how you couldn't ask for anything better than that. You're like, I'm in the title. I die. I have, like, amazing scenes. I have amazing songs. I have, like, every single part that you could want in a Broadway show as my Broadway debut. It was very, very cool. Yeah. I mean, and you worked with such an awesome cast also. I mean, everybody in that show is just, like... It's insane to think I got to work with Jeremy Jordan just, like, Oh, you know, just like popping Jeremy Jordan in or a lovely uh, Leslie Becker as like mom and Garrett as my mom. And um, Ted Wilson is so lovely. And Louis Hobson is delightful. And just like this wonderful team of people. And just to see also where everybody has gone now and um, catching up with Marissa or catching up with Allison and Katie Tansky and like all these people. It was so long ago, not too long ago, but it's so nice to see where everybody has kind of traveled to now, too. It, it is because that being my favorite show, I still follow everybody. I was like, what's everybody doing? If I yes. can do something, I mean, it's always a joy to see all of you. Oh, we got, we had such a special company, truly. I'm so, it's so, it's such a big bummer that it was so short because we love telling the story. I loved the company and to be helmed by Jeff Calhoun, who was just one of the most delightful, kindest, open human beings, it could not have been a better introduction to Broadway for me. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Now, with the show being over, everybody is, like, still just, like, totally obsessed with it. I was like, where were you guys when I needed <laughs> you? Like, I was trying to keep the show open. It's true. I have heard it's gotten some rewrites. Um, my friend Will Blum actually worked with it over in, I'm not sure if it's associated with the West End, but over in London somewhere. They were doing some rewrites and playing around. So I think it's still, it's still clicking around somewhere, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. They've been, they've been talking about London for quite some time, I believe. I won't say where, but because I'm not involved with that. <laughs> like to be, but you know, <laughs> be like, I'm still able. I might be too old now for Bonnie, but I'm still happy to be an ensemble. <laughs> I will give you God's open arms. Come on. <laughs> All right, so let's rewind for a little bit. And you actually competed in MTV's Legally Blonde, The Search for Elle Woods, which I actually remember that show. I watched it. And you were one of the 10 finalists. So what was the one thing that you discovered about yourself during that whole process of not really just like auditioning for a show, but auditioning for a show on television? Oh, my gosh. If you could go. So uh, when I filmed that, I was a senior in college. And so I actually was able to take some time off from school and all of my professors were great in understanding because we had no idea what we're getting ourselves into. I didn't know if I was going to be gone for a week, if I was going to be gone for the entire semester. I was getting uh, my bachelor's of music and music theater from Baldwin Wallace College Conservatory of Music or Baldwin Wallace University now. 
And I didn't know, I was like, would I make it back for graduation? Would I be able to like do all of that? Would I, would I be able to do showcase? And all in all worked out great. But it was one of those things that I didn't know how I compared or if I was up to par with these other very talented women to take over a lead in a Broadway show. And so one thing it did teach me was that, okay, I have the chops to get into the room. After that, it's basically just figuring out, do I fit into the world that they examine, do they see? But I learned, I was like, okay, the, the work that I've put in in college and high school as like a third grader running around singing Annie, like all of that kind of culminated to know that I can, I can be confident in what I'm bringing to the table is enough and that my learning is not over. Like still like, oh, I can continue to take classes and continue to expand my vocal um, abilities and continue to expand my dance abilities and continue to challenge myself in the acting world. It was a very strange experience. I, strangely enough, if I could go back, I wouldn't change it because the where, where my life has led, where my journey has led to, I really enjoy where I am. And so if I know if I wasn't the first one kicked off, I love my montage. Um, or if I won the competition, my life would be in a completely different place and I wouldn't have the great husband I have. I wouldn't have the dog that I have. I wouldn't have, I may have not been in Bonnie and Clyde. So really it's one of those, you hindsight is 2020, but not the year 2020, you know, uh, but it's all just looking back and knowing that wherever you're going to be is exactly where you're supposed to be. Um, and it's kind of cool to be a, a fresh-faced 22-year-old and Bernie tells he knows who you are. Right. And so, like, that gave me, a, I felt, a very big leg up when I could walk into the audition for the rest of the summer and be like, hello, you know who I am in the world, rather than the blonde, like, number 87 that he's seen today. So that's really kind of nice, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so you just mentioned Annie, which was so funny because that's where I'm going to next. So you played Molly in oh Annie Warbuck. Look at you in your research. Yes. How how old were you and where where was that that you played? Uh, so I was in third grade. Um, Mrs. Beasley's class at Winter Elementary. Shout out Toledo, Ohio. And my, funny enough, my music teacher at the time, Mr. Tom Zor, he handed me a sheet of paper. And he actually grew up down the street from my mom, so there was a little familiarity. He was like, I think you would enjoy this. And it was audition for Annie Warbucks at Grandma Rose's Diner Entertainment Theater in Perrysburg, Ohio. And I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. My parents were not theater paint. Like, they understood theater. They would go to it, but it wasn't a, this might be something fun for her. So I go in an audition, and I get called back. And I was like, oh, cool. What's a callback? What do I have to do? And so I'm my, like, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, smunky self, and I end up getting the role of Molly. And funny enough, it was one of the longest shows I ever did because we ran, I want to say, for, like, three months. And so, like, as a first show, to be like, this is the norm. This is what you do. Like, after school, you do your homework, and then you go to the theater. And, like, to do theater up until... Probably after college, I'd never had a long run like that anymore. So I was like, I only get a week, a weekend, two weeks. This is nothing. Yeah. But um, funny side note to know that the world is so, so small. When I was doing that, the role of Annie was double cast. And one of the girls worked at, there were two children's workshops in Toledo. One children's theater workshop that I was involved in later. And the Toledo Rep, both doing fantastic work, both doing great productions. Um, I don't know why we chose CTW. Who knows? Um, but the other girl was really active in Toledo Rep, and so we didn't really cross paths except in my first show. Flash forward to about two years ago, sitting on the Broadway softball field, the other aunt, the one of the other Annies is Sarah Shepard. And so she was the dance captain at Beautiful, she did Crybaby, she did all those things, and it's so mind-boggling to me that in third grade we did a show together. Flash forward so many, how many years, <laughs> then all of a sudden you were like, oh, we're in the same community working literally three blocks from each other. It was a very kind of very cool roundabout experience. Yeah, that it, it really does go show you that there is such a small kind of like community of theater. Like you, we all kind of end up in the same place. Absolutely. Eventually. Absolutely. Eventually. The world is so small. And he was one of my favorites as a kid. I would sing tomorrow, like nobody's business. And my mom yeah. was like, shut up. You can't sing. And I'm like, oh. I know I can't sing, but I'm going to sing 
this song, this is like. See, my mom just like was like, I'm tired of this song. Go practice in the backyard. <laughs> so I was just in the backyard. We're just annoying and probably off pitch and awful, but I was committed. I was a committed child. <laughs> but yeah, I, w- I would actually watch the movie so many times where to the point where my mom would just kind of just put on the, the VHS tape yes. and uh, <laughs> just like let it run. And I would just sit there and watch it. Well, you're like, and you think about it is look at the people that you were looking. You had Tim Curry, mm-hmm. you had Bernadette Peters, Carol Burnett, like Aline Quinn is the le- like all of these fantastic legends, just like in Annie on a VHS. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, you know, and then when I got older and grew up and like realized like who these people were, you know, when you're a kid, you don't realize yeah, these things, exactly. and then you grow up and you're like, wait, I used to watch that as a kid. And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, it comes full circle now, especially, you know, working in theater now. So another one of my favorites and something that's kind of been a part of your career now, you did the national tour of The Wizard of Oz and you played Dorothy. I did. How long did you do that for? I did it for the first two years of the non-equity tour that launched in 2008. And it was actually, bizarrely enough, after Legally Blonde, that ended up having like two shows left from the final, like, this is, we're going to reveal who's going to be the Elle Woods. I got the call that I was going to do Dorothy. So I was very weird of being like, I saw this dream kind of drift, but then something, a brand new door opened. And so I got to do that for two years um, with Networks producers. And it was just, uh, what a learning experience for a kid to be like, okay, let's go travel, literally bus and truck. What does this mean? To do a longer run than Annie Warbucks. So I'm doing so many shows a week. And in addition, learn how to be a leader. Learn how to be a lead in a show that you're getting paid to do. Learn to do all of the media and the interviews and getting up in the morning and really understanding how your body works, what you need to do to be able to give a 100% performance every single night when you have to get up at 6 in the morning the next day to fly to a new city or get on a bus to then have a radio interview to like hang out with the dogs and then get back on the bus and do the same thing the next day. And then you did the first national tour of Wicked where you actually did play Dorothy there too, right? I did! What's funny enough is they were saying I was the fanny track. And so I was like, I have no idea what that means. And apparently back in the day in Wicked, Fanny and Chen Chen, which are the Glinda Mean Girlfriend, used to have their own song, and I'm so mad that it got cut. Because I was like, oh my gosh, how fun would that be? Oh my gosh. Yeah! I was like, ah, someday we'll have to like go into Schwartz's trunk and be like, let's sort through some things and find that song. Wait, when we do another Wicked anniversary. (laughs) Exactly, all the cut songs. Yeah. In time. I I can see it'll be happening soon. Um, But I got my track, and so I was thinking, okay, I play an Aussie in here, I play... um. Like the mob here. Okay, now I'm in a bald gown here. And then all of a sudden they're like, you're the Dorothy. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and so I, I adore all of the beautiful costumes that um, Susan Hoffrey put together. Like really gorgeous stuff. However, the Dorothy costume, I mean, you're in shadow. So like really they could have put anything on you. They, they really did make sure that you were in a Dorothy costume. Unfortunately, it was very much a costume shop Dorothy costume. So after two years of running around in this beautiful gingham dress with like these beautiful Swarovski crystal slippers and like gorgeous braids, I get like popped on literally costume shop things to be in shadow for literally 12 seconds. Like it's not that big of a deal. But just to think about it, oh, this is, I'm moving up in the world, but... I am wearing this. It was, it was very fun. <laughs> but I did get, to, I didn't know, and I don't know if any of your listeners know, the cries in Wicked when you, in the beginning of the for good scene in the castle, when she's like, and your little dog too, and she gives sass to the ground, that's mm-hmm. whoever is playing the Dorothy track has to record her cries to be underground. And so anytime you hear those, those are actually specific to the actress playing Dorothy. Oh, wow. You know, I didn't know that. Oh my gosh. That's so yeah. So it's like, you always get to hear different people's cries, which is fun. That's so, so cool. Yeah. And that's not really something that you would like kind of think about. That you right. Would, you would think it'd be like a generic cry. A generic, of yeah. One. Yeah. No, yeah. I had to be like, <laughs> and I was like, is that good? I don't know. <laughs> and then, well, you 
understudied in the in the Wicked National Tour. You understudied Glinda and Nessa Rose, and you went on for both. I didn't get to see you as Nessa Rose, but I did drive all the way to Police. You as Glinda. <laughs> uh, you were excellent. So Thank you. It was very, very cool. Uh, so I went out there at first for about 10 months, and I just had the Glinda understudy. And uh, I actually got to, we learned Glinda at the same time. And by we, I mean me and the other understudy at the time. The way things kind of shook down on the tour, it was Sarah Shankin and I that kind of learned Glinda together, which was very cool. And I was able to go on, I believe it was either my birthday or somewhere close to my birthday that I got to go on for the first time close to maybe about a month after. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But I remember thinking, and to kind of tie it back a little bit, a recall, I was like, I went out on a Broadway stage within a, a little bit of notice. And Ali Mozzie was our Glinda at the time. And she is such a healthy performer that she very rarely called out. So it was actually a planned situation. So I was like, oh, I, I will like make sure I double check what I have to see, what I have to look. Um, they were able to swing me out so I could see things from the front, where the lighting is, make sure I'm not in front of somebody, out of my light, all that good stuff. And so I was able to go on during my whole Wicked journey, including the first 10 months. I left the tour for about seven months and then came back for the last little bit. I probably went on over a 100 times, I'm going to guess. I was able to open San Francisco, which is great. I was able to work with a ton of different alphabas, uh, Laurel Harris. Steve Rossioli, Mamie Paris was my first Elfie, Emmy Raver Lampman, uh, Carla Stickler, oh, who else am I listening? Emma Hutton, uh, Jenny Znoya, Nicole Parker, some really, really powerful, strong Steve Rossioli. I might have already said her. She deserves it again, because I think I worked with her when she came oh, back. Oh, she's, she's amazing. Oh, just, and they're, just a delight well, scene partner. They're all amazing. Yeah, they've done, oh, Allie Luff, that what, they've done a really good job of making sure that you're able to work with some good people, which is great. But it's a totally different ballgame to be in that dress, be hiked up so much feet in the air and be like, act natural and act like you know what you're doing on a situation that's like the size of a lunchroom tray. And you're like, yeah. oh, okay, what could go wrong here? Nothing. Nothing <laughs> can go wrong. It's fun. Oh, my goodness. Um, it and was so very did cool. You, did you originally audition for Alphabet? I did. Actually, since uh, probably since graduating college until – a time during Bonnie and Clyde, I was going in for Alphaba, Alphaba Understudy, Alphaba Standby, all these things. And the casting director at the time, Craig Burns, was like, she she just sounds young. And if you've ever heard my voice, I have a very high-pitched voice. Like, it's kind of a no-brainer in a weird way, but I was kind of went through college as a high belter. And so, as a high belter, you go in for Alphaba. And so, I was starting to get frustrated because I was like, I... I don't even know if I fit into this world. I might be able to sing it, but that's a totally different ballgame. And so they were like, maybe you might be right for a Nessa Rose situation. I was like, okay, when that comes up, I'm happy to go in for it. And I remember actually sitting at Bonnie. It's all coming back to Bonnie and Clyde, truly. <laughs> um, sitting on the platform downstairs of the Schoenfelds. And I was like sitting there, like kicking my feet, having a grand old time. And Leslie Becker was like, have you ever been in for Glinda? And I was like, and she said, you should do that. And I was like, okay. Like, I have control over that. <laughs> Funny enough, after we closed about two weeks later, a Glinda, st uh, Glinda understudy came up for audition. And I was like, hey, I've been told by a couple people that have been in the show before that I might fit into the world there. So I asked my agents the next time the Glinda situation plumped, can I get into the room? And so they were like, yeah, okay, fine. So Craig, as lovely as he is, I really admire him for taking a chance and taking the time to be like, this girl is clearly not in the, doesn't fit right now into Alphaba. Okay, let's see if she fits into Glinda. That takes a lot to be able to change the perception of a casting director. So the casting director would be open to seeing if they fit somewhere else. That's a huge situation. And Craig love, lovingly um, opened his door and opened his arms. He was like, let's see if you fit here. And so I went in and we started with La the opening, let us be glad, let us be grateful. And I remember him like writing things down and then all of a sudden he perked up. And it was, I think it was a thing of like, oh, she can sing this. She already has like the personality works. So like, let's rock and roll with this. And so I was able to do the pre-screen for that. I came back and sang for Paul Dobie at the time because he was one of the associate directors. And then I ended up going to a dance call. And funny enough, uh, Corinne and Mark Myers 
I did the dance call. And the Wicked Dance Call is really cool because I have a live drummer there. And it was me, um, this girl named Jillian Kate, who we actually went to school together. She was a year younger than me and a gentleman. So we did the first, um, extra, uh, first thing, Hoi Polloi, which is the walking combination in, sh- in one short day. And then the gentleman lets go. And then it's just Jillian and I. And I was like, oh, great. Whatever happens, somebody I love will get this job. Like, great. Awesome. And then Jillian was like, hey, did you know there's a track, there's the same track opening up on the second national? And so I was like, so we basically have to set the house on fire in order to not get cast. She was like, yeah. And so I was like, oh my God, I might be getting a job today. And so it was so fun to do a dance call with somebody that you care for. We had a great time. And then I was like, oh, this is where I fit into the world of Wicked. I fit into the Glinda role. I love her journey. I love her exploration. I I do think that Alphaba has better songs, but I enjoy Glinda's journey more because I do feel like the show is kind of told through her eyes in an odd way. But it's so, I really enjoyed it. And you get to like run around with bubbles and every person is just excited to see you. And you get to sing high notes. You like Glinda does have some belting. Like it's not, it's no joke. So for me, it was a really cool way to see what my instrument, what my body can do in the spec of like, let's see how much I can really widen up my range in terms of acting and vocal ability and registration and all of that fun stuff and dancing. I got to partner with some wonderful people. Oh, my fieras were delightful. I just really had a lovely experience. And I met my husband there. Like, yes, exactly. what could be better? Yeah, I was like, you met your husband during during Wicked. So. I did. And it was very fun. We actually were able... So Rick was a Bach understudy in the ensemble. And what was nice was our tracks didn't really cross over unless we meant them to. Like, we didn't have any parts where we were... We had, like, hubbub upstage in a, together... We never, we didn't dance together. So it was very much when we uh, went after the show, we'd be like, how was your show? Because it was completely different than my show. So it was really nice as we built this relationship to not be on top of each other. But it was very convenient that we worked in the same office, basically. (laughs) Did you ever do Nessa and Bach together? We did not. So when I came back after my seven month vacation, Mickey Bonnie took over my track. And then she was like, I'm leaving. And I was like, I could go back. Why not? I had a little break. That's when I picked up the Nessa Rose cover. And I actually only was able to go on for Nessa Rose twice. So it's one of those, let's see how this wheelchair thing goes. And then the second time was, let me see if I could fix the wheelchair things that happened. Uh, but it was a really cool um, character. I don't know if it was it would be a character I'd like to do eight shows a week. But I really enjoyed popping into her because she is, she is a real easy track. Mm-hmm. She is a real easy track. <laughs> I bet. So let's shift gears to School of Rock, which was a great show. I I loved that show. And I know that you were understudy for Patty, and I never got to see you as Patty, which I will forever regret. I'm but offended. <laughs> I know. And it's like, <laughs> interview over, that's it, we're done. <laughs> what was the best thing about being in that awesome show? Because it looked just like so much fun to be in. It was one of those shows. So I was in it the entire run from opening night to closing night, which in it was only uh, Justice Swim and I that did the whole entire time. Some people came back and forth. But it was a show that when I went to work and did the show for three years, I could maybe count on one hand the times that I left the show and wasn't in a better mood than I came. People always say don't work with children and dogs. But I have had the best experiences working with children and dogs. It's just looking at the opening night cast of Shahadi Wright Joseph and Isabella Russo, which, funny enough, Isabella Russo's parents, Chris Russo, wasn't wicked with me. So I actually knew her prior. And so it was kind of fun to like be able to catch up to be like, how's your dad? He was like, also my uh, castmate, which now you are my castmate, <laughs> but you're like two. So I don't understand. <laughs> Uh, Brandon Niederauer and um, Ethan Kuda's mom and Jersey and like all of these few and Dante I don't want to leave anybody out because I just care for them so so much uh, just to see where they are now and watch them blossom and Evie oh my god I cannot believe I forgot about Evie Evie Dolan is literally going to rule the world um, just you watch truly just to see how these kids have blossomed and the magic 
I truly saw the magic of theater with School of Rock. There were kids that joined us later in the run that said, I saw School of Rock, and because of that show, I wanted to learn to play this instrument. And because I played this instrument, now I'm on stage with you. Like, that's an amazing trajectory and just amazing gift of knowing the power. And my favorite part of it is the kids don't win at the end. It is not a truly happy ending. It is a realistic ending and a very cool way to be like things might not go your way but you can still have a really good time and working with alex brightman who's like his voice is an alien i don't understand how he (laughs) he does what he does fantastic sounds working with sierra bogus who is like a gem of gems and my all my women's ensemble and all of the boys it was just it was one it's one of my if that's the last time i was on broadway which knock on wood i could be happy with that I got to understudy Mamie, who uh, was my first Alfie, like I said. And so it was really fun to reconnect with her and to understudy her. Like the last mm-hmm. time I saw her, we were like, she held my hand as we run out in the, the Glendon Alfie bow. And then all of a sudden now she's like, uh, she would, I think she went on for Rosalie when I went on first time for Patty. So she we would be like, I'm wearing your stuff, not wearing your stuff, but like, <laughs> I look like you now. It's very funny. Uh, I just, I love School of Rock. I loved the rock music. I was a kid that my mom would always like Blair Queen or Blair Led Zeppelin and Blair things in the car. And then all of a sudden I'm watching these kids literally make rock music in front of my faces and be like, you are literally 10 years old and I'm like playing chords at my piano. Ugh, they're just insane. And I still can't wait to see where they blossom even more since some of them are now in college, some of the originals. And I'm like, you are a real human. We will be able to grab a beer soon. And that is very weird. <laughs> it's always so funny when you see like kids on stage, especially for me as, as an adult that, I mean, not a performer, but you look at these talented kids on stage and you're like, what have I been doing with my life? <laughs> oh my gosh. My favorite is uh, Jersey Sullivan, who played our security. And he literally understudied the guitarist and shredded on that. He understudied the drummer, shredded on that. This was his first show ever. And he's like, oh, I'm going to be on Broadway. But bass was his first instrument. I was like, are you kidding? Ugh. Oh, my gosh. It's insane. They're insane. And luckily, like, they're so good and they're kids, so they don't know what is hard yet. So mm-hmm. they'd be doing these amazing things. And all of the adults would be like, I know adults that can't do this stuff. And they're like, this is just a fun day at work. Mm-hmm. Work, quote, unquote. Hmm. So you've been on three cast recordings. Bunny and Clyde, because I'm biased with that one. <laughs> Lola Rock and Angelina Ballerina. Yeah. You've also recorded with the band Onward Chariots on their EP, Take Me to Somewhere, which I listened to some of it. I want to listen to the rest of it because it's really good. I actually really liked it. Yeah. So I've never recorded an album. You're welcome, world. <laughs> but I imagine it would be fun and frustrating at the same time. Right? Like I it, agree. I guess it really depends on whether you're a lead vocalist or if you're just in the background or whatever. So what was your experience like recording just in general? Yeah, um, it's kind of run the gamut in terms of like, I could be, I've recorded where it's just myself in a booth and we go back and do a couple lines a couple times and then I start to sing with myself and then add on. And so it can be kind of time consuming and really vocal fatiguing. Uh, for Bonnie and Clyde, it was, they set up some microphones. We all like stood in a choir position and kind of just sang out the microphones because they wanted that live sound. Um, School of Rock, we actually recorded that before we like got into the theater or like we just started the theater. So that was the first time I actually heard the orchestration. So in the first song that I sang on, uh, the Here at Horace Green, um, and they have the recorders. That was the first time I heard. It. I was like, "There are recorders in this show." I had no idea, and I was like looking around. And everybody else was like, "Do And I was like, "Does no one? Is this is this how this goes?" No idea. <laughs> but it's interesting because, especially in the self tape world, and getting it, I tried to, I dipped my foot into voiceover, and then I said, "This is not for me, thank you." But doing uh, a lot of microphone work, it takes a lot more of specificity and. Whatever you're going to put down is going to be there forever, especially nowadays. And so you wanted to make sure that you were honoring your character journey. You're honoring what the composer put down. You're honoring all these little textures and intricacies of your vocal journey because 
that stuff is going to be studied and heard. I remember a story of Marin Maisie when she recorded Back to Before. She recorded it in a very specific way that was not what she did every single night because she knew whatever she recorded, people are going to be mimicking that for the rest of the, like, the, until the world blows up. And so I thought it was really smart of her to do something that let other artists put their own interpretation on it rather than always going back to try to steal that magic. And like, if you've never seen the live version, I'm sure you have, mm-hmm. but like Mary Maisie back to, it's just, it's, it's heartbreaking and beautiful and completely a different story than what you hear on the cast recording. And I think that's also part of the magic of live theater mm-hmm. and why it's sometimes it's so hard to find that magic in a live recording booth when you're like, stop. Okay, hold. So we're going to go back here. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a totally different thing that you have to get your brain to. But yeah. in the same moment, you can have super small moments. Because you have a microphone so close to your mouth that you can find different textures and things that wouldn't be able to be accomplished on a Broadway stage. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because even like with some other like recordings and like there's been some stuff in recordings where they would change like a line or a word Mm -hmm. and that's what's on the recording. And you're like, that's not what I remember because We've been saying a different word. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. We've been saying a different word through an entire show, even though it only ran two months, and what's on the recording is something different. Exactly. Exactly. And And I'm like, those are not the words. Right? And then you, like, get in, like, if you, like, if there's a a school doing it or a a theater doing it, and they get that script, and they're like, well, which do we follow? The cast recording or, like, what's in the script? And then there's the discrepancy. It's, ugh, it's so true. Yeah. So, but that's just my little thing. But <laughs> I love that. I love that I guess, specificity. I guess when you've seen a show 22 times. <laughs> you know it. You know those words. Exactly. So you've also sang the Star Spangled Banner at numerous MLB stadiums. Yeah. What was your favorite stadium to sing at? I have to say I got to sing at the White Sox Stadium in Chicago. And I think that was most fun for... Not the normal reasons. I don't know. Um, you get a bunch of free food after, which I am always a sweet gem. Give me some nachos at a ball game. I am, I am happy as a clam. But at the end, and I didn't know they did this, they did, they have these home bases and you can decorate it and then it gets auctioned off. And so I was like, Oh, well, mine clearly has to have red jewels all over it. So I, they have all these craft supplies and I'm going through this jewel thing, find, trying to find all the reds I can. And I have no <laughs> idea where that home base is nowadays, but I remember being thinking so cool that I kind of got to put my stamp on something that's going to be auctioned off, which I hopefully for good charities that I don't remember. Hopefully it was to like, like my story got to go on in that, which I thought was very, very cool. Cause like there's no place like home base. Which I thought was <laughs> perfect. I was like, I can be witty, right? <laughs> and you're also a founding member of Theater Horizons 42nd to Main Street series. How did that come about and what exactly is it? Oh, it's one of my favorite things. So I, um, during my time at Wicked, I learned I enjoy musical theater for the story purposes. Like an audience is great. However, it's not the end-all be-all for me, not why I got into the musical theater world career. And so when you're doing a show a million times, your voice can get tired in different parts, your brain can turn off, and you might feel not really fulfilled creatively. And so I was like, I would love to put together just a sit and sing. So like, okay, whoever wants to sign up for, I think our first one was Into the Woods. What part do you want to be in Into the Woods? I'll send you the script and the score. Like a week or so ahead of time, look it over and then let's go into this room and just like sing and read through this. And I was like, oh, this is really fun. It was a mess. It was great, but I was like, let's do it again. So we did it with company and not, we didn't have as many people. So everybody was doubling. So the beginning was like, Bobby, come on over for dinner. We're so glad. It was very funny. But I was like, oh, this is something that I'd want to continue. I think it's fun. It gives everybody a chance to be in a show, but not have any really other commitment. And we get to kind of delve into parts and songs and things that we haven't had the opportunity to do with yet. And so I put out an all call to people in New York, like, hey, who's interested? Who knows of like cheap studio space? Who'd like to be involved? 
And a past Wicked stage manager, Molly Braveman, she left Wicked and uh, went to go work at Theater Horizons outside of Philadelphia. And she was like, actually, would you want to up the ante and want to do this as part of, like, do you want to basically kind of rent the theater, quote unquote, but have a way to kind of combine some local talent with New York talent and kind of blend some locations? And I was like, that sounds great. And so we started with Urinetown. And we ended up having Theater Horizon. I think we gained like 22 subscribers, which in a small house in a, in Philadelphia is like fantastic for a one night situation. Mm-hmm. And so Molly was like, oh, this can actually be something. And so that kind of how it started the series, the 42nd Street series. And we ended up doing Bloody Buddy Andrew Jackson, which was so fun. I got, to, what's really fun about that is you get to hire your friends. And so Laurel Harris I, is in it. I That's love what? that show. What? I'm actually very obsessed with that show. It's so good. It's so, listen, that show is so much fun. If you just take, if you if you take that show for what it, I know some couple people who actually saw the show and they were like, I didn't really get it. And I was like, Did you just like take the show for what it is? Because if you overanalyze the show, you're not gonna like it. Yes, very very much so. But it was one. It's exactly. It's one of those that like this could be a very cool show. That doesn't get shown too often and like it has some cool things in it. And so we did that and then we're like, okay, let's do another one. So we ended up doing Xana Don't. And my uh, Molly, the my friend over at Theater Horizon, she had actually been in contact with the composer um back in back when she was in college at Columbia. And she reached out again and was like, Hey, I'm working at this theater, we're planning on doing Xana Don't. Uh we would love it if you would be able to come as an invite. And he was like, oh, funny enough, I'm actually rewriting it and looking for a place to workshop it. Would you want to do the Xana Don't reboot? And we were like, yes, yes, we would. (laughs) And so all of a sudden, this tiny thing that started in the rehearsal studio of Wicked had blossomed into, like, doing a workshop of of what amounted to be a brand new music, a, a brand new musical that had never seen the live day before. And so it was very cool to see like this little baby bird fly. Um, I'm hoping to start up something like that. And then like, of course, life happens, COVID happens. Mm-hmm. But I'm hoping to start something up similar to again uh, with my voice students. So I currently teach voice. So like I can grab my friends and their friends, these like beautiful, positive, professional performers. I love an alliteration apparently. And um, <laughs> working with these, pre-professional singers to be like, let's blend some world. Let's give some people a chance to explore some new material. Let's give people a chance to get to work with professionals and know what expectations are, get to see things um, up close and honestly build some self-confidence that you can belong in the same room and you can create beautiful art together and you can have a good time doing it and really explore things that you may have not explored before. And I'm really hoping maybe this spring to start something up again. I'm just, let's get together with a piano and let's, let's sing through some stuff. <laughs> the most fun of this whole genre of musical theater. Yeah. And so you just mentioned, you started the Cassio Kanko Voice Studio. Yeah. And so what are some of the things that you teach? I know you just don't really just, not just a vocal coach. You do other things. So what exactly do you teach? So I teach, I teach a variety of ages. Um, I dabble in pop rock. I dabble in uh, contemporary commercial music, but really it's musical theater. And so during School of Rock, I was like, I know Broadway. Shows don't last forever. And so I was like, what is something I can do that I feel like I will enjoy that isn't waiting tables, that isn't doing temp work? And so I ended up getting a teacher certification through New York Vocal Coaching Teacher Training Program. And so I started teaching some friends, teaching um, friends of friends. And I was like, oh, this is really fun. I really enjoy this. And so throughout the past five years, I've gotten numerous certifications. I've worked with um, the VOCA, Boston Conservatory Musical Theater Program. I've worked with um, the National Association of Teaching of Singers, NAT, their mentorship program in New York, put me in touch with Mary Saunders Barton and uh, Trinice Robinson Martin. I've worked with the Lavoltry Institute. I've worked with, um, who else have I taken? I just did the Penn State um, Musical Theater Weekend Pedagogy Program. And so I'm slowly starting to kind of, what I think of as hobbling together a master's in vocal pedagogy. 
with an emphasis in musical theater so that I can help people tell stories through their lens in a clearer, specific way while being cautious of vocal health. Amanda Flynn, I took a great uh, seminar with her that was all about vocal health because it like it's a it's a it's an issue not an issue but it's a challenge mm-hmm. same as spraining your ankle as a professional football player there's going to be vocal injuries in a vocal community when you're using it professionally and so I'm really enjoying this journey because selfishly I get to sing every day and like what other place can I pretend to be like Belle in Beauty and the Beast and then the next I'm like helping somebody with six material and then the next I'm singing on the street where you live and then we're singing um, a new brain after there's just the plethora of journeys that I get to go on in that day even if I'm only singing a two-bar phrase it still feels right that I'm still part of the community in an odd way sounds like um, my Broadway playlist yes exactly and so it's also really fun because there's like a weird sense of control that I can be like oh I wish somebody would sing this song who in my studio can sing it? And then I get to like hear one of my favorite songs sung as many times as I want them to <laughs> sing it. Exactly. Like a secret, like evil power. I'm like, please sing musical theater at me. <laughs> <laughs> but I really enjoy it. And I think it's really going to be fun since I'm still a, I'm still a baby in, in the teaching world. And so I'm excited to see um, my students blossom and grow and where they happen to end up. I have some kids entering. Um, the ones at Wright State University, ones at Sam Houston, one is at University of Oklahoma, and then I'm working with Mary Marymount Manhattan College in their musical theater department, and then just joined the University of Wisconsin Parkside musical theater concentration. And so I'm really excited to start these young artists and help them on their journey. So I can be like, back in my day when I was on Broadway, remember those days? Or maybe we'll be in a show together someday, which would be very cool. That would Weird, be very, cool. very cool. That would be very, very cool, though. No, yeah. definitely. And you've also did a bit of directing. You directed a production of The Addams Family. So is directing something that you want to do? I always think, uh, so that was through a Broadway workshop with run by Mark Tuminelli, who is the only other person I know who can pull an Andy Warbuck song out of their butt this, as easily as I am. So I really appreciate him as a person, <laughs> just for that one thing. <laughs> um, he's put together a beautiful program. I have found, and I think this goes with being a musical theater performer, I am not the best at creating work, but I'm pretty decent at interpreting work. And so in the directing world, it was a part of their younger program. So I was dealing with one of my boy students, which is kind of fun. And a bunch of these other kids. And so it was very low stakes, which is great. And I was like, perfect way to kind of dip my foot in. And I really felt like I could do this at this realm, but I think I would be a better associate where I could come in later and either keep things up to par or be the one to be like, did you notice you're dying in the dark while we're doing West Side? Or do you feel, I feel like this might have a better picture if it's here. Or I understand what you're trying to do with the line, but to be a mirror, it's coming off as this, and I don't think that's your intention. And so I feel like I would be better almost like a show doctor mm-hmm. or an associate on a long-running show rather than let me create the first thing first. I wish I could have that idea of that first creative to be like, let me create something out of nothing. I'm much better of like, look at that creative thing out of nothing. Let me interpret that in a certain way. I'm much better in that second realm. So you were also on The Price is Right. I was. <laughs> I remember when you posted that and you were so super excited. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> so what was, so what was, so now you just, so you were in, you were in California, right? And mm-hmm. you just happened to get tickets to go in and you were just one of the lucky person that, that got picked, right? Basically. Um, so we were there in Wick, with Wicked. And my friend, uh, so I went with Dominic Judici, who, uh, most recently was on the Hamilton tour, uh, Aaron Wilson and, um, Jenny Forkowski. And so my husband, well, my boyfriend at the time, Rick was supposed to go and, but he wasn't, um, there were some things going down, so he wasn't able to make it. And so it was like, okay, we're going to go and have a grand time. So you like go in the morning, you wait, in, it's very much like an audition. You go in the morning, you <laughs> wait in line. Um, they take your picture to be like, oh, it's a fun tour thing. And then they actually do little baby interviews as you're walking through. 
And I wore my uh, Toledo shirt because I remember Drew Carey's from Ohio. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, Ohio, Toledo, there might be something there. And so I remember in the interview, like you can Google how to be on the presses, right? And they were basically like, be crazy and excited. I was like, I could do that. That's easy. And so I was just really, really excited to be there and be a part of it and blah, blah, blah. And so um, that is literally, the I feel like, the only reason that I was able to be on it. It's very much a at random, but it's those little interviews to be like, are you excited to be here? They don't want a dud on TV. They want somebody excited. And so I happen to be that dud. So I was like, great, let's do it. <laughs> Funny enough, and I never, like, I'm, who doesn't watch The Price is Right? Especially like when you're younger and you're sick at home, like, I'm give fine. me that Plinko life, come on. And so I was, we were there and you know, they're like, uh, my first thing, uh, 1250, you can't hear anything. Yeah, and like you don't, you can't see. I'm a visual person, and so I was like, I, you can't even see what everybody else has bid. And so I was like, I literally have no idea what just happened. So then I bid like a dollar over a dude, like that, like crappy move, because I just couldn't hear anything, and I didn't want to be like, uh, uh, uh. I didn't want to like stop the show. So I was like, let me do this, and I ended up winning. So I ended up winning that, and then I won my game, which was basically like a this or that, which is higher or lower. And then I got to spin the wheel. And that wheel is heavy. I used to see people fall and I was like, ugh, like, come on guys, go to the gym. But oh my God, that wheel is so heavy. It looks so heavy. Oh my gosh. But it was very cool. And I ended up losing there. But I ended up walking away with like some sort of fancy purses. I sold most of them. Um, I ended up walking away with some food appliances. Uh, I still have the bread maker and I still have the pressure cooker. And then we ended up getting this, I ended up winning this like gigantic TV. And we were, I was in Wicked at the time. And so we were were moving back to New York. And I was like, I don't, my place, this is literally bigger than the door. Like there's no, this is, this can't happen. So I ended up selling it to a friend. That's the type of thing is you have to pay on the taxes first Mm -hmm. before they release the gifts and all that stuff. But it was very cool experience to be like, I've been on a reality show. I've been on a game show. It's one of those things that I am very slowly checking off bucket list on bucket list just by having fun and living my life. Like, what a great thing, truly. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So if you could be in any show, somebody comes to you tomorrow. Cassie, we're going to open up any show for you, either present Broadway when it comes back or anything in the past. What show would it be? What role would you play and why? Right now, and probably for the past million, not million years, like three years, it would, it would become from away. I think that show is special. I think it's important. I think it, it is so rare to have an actually purely ensemble, which is great. I went in for the flight attendant back in the day and I didn't get very far. And I remember literally being so heartbroken that when it came on my shelf, I was like, I can't listen to this right now. Like, I can't, I can't, like, subject myself to this beauty right now. I still sometimes feel like that because it's like, oh, the story is just so important and beautiful. And I ended up seeing the show uh, when it was on TDF and before, like, the buzz had come around. And I remember it's a one act. So, like, A, you're in and out. So, like, for, like, life balance, it's the jam. Mm-hmm. Um, you get to, like, play literally different characters. And I remember turning to Rick at the time, my husband, and I was like, why is no, like, why is this not blowing up? We saw it maybe like the two weeks before everybody else saw it and was like, this show is physically amazing. I think I like, I will be in it in a community theater in the middle of Wyoming. Like, I just feel the, the purpose of the show and the moral and the stories and the journeys are so important. I will probably pay them to do it someday. Other than that, I wish I could go back in time and be, Louise and Gypsy, I always think her journey is really fascinating from a point of when a woman is able to take control of her own life, what can happen? Mm -hmm. I think that's a really cool story to be a part of. But right now, Come From Away, hands down. I mean, I sob in my car at it. I don't know how I would ever get through a rehearsal, but hopefully we'll find out. Oh my gosh. I saw the show twice and I cried through it twice. But the second time I went, I was like, no, I'm prepared. I'm good. I know. <laughs> fine. Nope. I know what's going to happen. Nope. I'm like, oh, my God. Uh, and I'm the type of person also, like, you can, like, 
play me a love song, play me somebody dying. Like it's okay. If you give me a group number, I'm so like, I remember seeing Hairspray for the first time and like, you can't stop the beat. I'm literally sobbing at you can't stop the beat. Like when Music Man comes back, I'm going to be the one that's like ugly crying at Shapoopy. I'm like, Shapoopy, Shapoopy. Like it's going to be a hot mess. But for some reason, ensemble, like when everybody comes together for that, like one magnetic moment is like what really like, uh, just pulls on my heartstrings. Great. So any upcoming projects that you want to or can share about? Nothing right now other than like obviously this podcast. Duh. Um, <laughs> I'm hoping that uh, once spring comes back around, we'll start, things will start back opening up. Things will start being put out there. Um, and I'm hopeful that I can, can do a theater situation in terms, even if it's just like, like I said, in the studio, like, let's open it up. I had this idea of doing vanities with two of my other girlfriends. It's been floating around in the back of my head. And so maybe that'll be starting up in the spring. But really just, if you want to do something, go to 54 Below Show. Go to go to live theater. Go watch somebody sing on the corner street. Do anything just to let them know that storytelling has been around for millennia. The Bible is a story. Like, storytelling is, that's what people live for and so Mm -hmm. as long as we can keep that storytelling alive i will be there and i hope you all will too yes oh my gosh i've been i was at 54 below two weeks in a row nice like back to back two uh two people well one's a group and one is uh individual that i absolutely love uh michael mott did a show i freaking love michael mott and then the boy band project did a show so they did like two like two Sundays in a row we went and stuff like that. So I was like, oh no, we're going to both. Yes. <laughs> definitely, yeah, but I I missed 54 Below so much. And I was like, what? Two acts that I like love so much. You're like, I have to go. It's literally, it would be a crime if I didn't. True. Yeah. I was like, I have to go, especially now, you know, before work starts back up again. Then it's like, what? You want me to do what? No, I'm sorry. I have to. I have a show. Exactly. I have a show. Exactly. Chill life. <laughs> Not exactly the same show life that you had, or but still show life. <laughs> Absolutely, we're still we're still making the donuts, still making the sausage. So, where can people go to find out more about you? Uh, they can follow me on Instagram. Um, my handle is Kokenka, C O K E N K A. Um, I also have a website, CassieOkenka dot com, and if you are interested in voice lessons, there's a tag on that, or you can do voice dot com. Um, and hopefully just seeing people around Midtown, seeing people around Brooklyn, like stop and say hi and say, tell me what you love about Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> <laughs> Always all Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. So hopefully I will run into you soon and we can talk about Bonnie and Clyde more. <laughs> okay. Oh, twist my arm. I mean, so Kathy, thank you so, so much for coming on. It's so much fun talking with you. Uh, thank you for having me, Jen. This was just <laughs> delightful. <laughs>